I remember, I have this memory. I have this memory as a kid um, laying in my bed, uh, small town, looking out the window. I was maybe 10 years old or so, peering through the window, crisp, crisp beautiful, starlit night, and my young mind uh, may have picked up something we were learning at school, I don't know, about the galaxy or something, and somewhere in all that was stirring in me as a little kid, uh, the Holy Spirit was at work, and I began to think about time. I don't, know, I don't re ever remember thinking about it seriously ever before, and I don't know why now I still have this memory, but I thought about time. In the vast expanse of all that is, what happens when time ends? I had this thought as a kid. And, and, and if those stars that are so far away that their light traveled to meet my eye before I was even born, then how big is all this? And what is time? What is this thing which seems so long as a young boy? And what is eternity? I don't remember any grand revelations that night. I just remember this moment. But I do recall this strange blend of wonder and fear that stirred in me. And now, all these years later, later I would call it holy awe and holy fear coming together. Have, have you ever played the young philosopher or astronomer? We're, we're moving today past what we finished last week, knowing, knowing that deep dive into our mission, vision, and values as a fellowship into a journey toward Christmas that we're calling time. Well, why? Well, uh, it's almost Christmas time. The stores are already reminding you that you're behind the times, okay? And even more importantly, as a fellowship called to know Jesus and make him known, we must accept that this is the time we have to do it. You and I are not given any other moment to live and leave a legacy in this world. For you and I, we're in it, in this time. This is it. And every generation has to seize the moment without arrogance toward or ignorance of the past and Lord knows a little humility from where we're sitting right now could do our times well, right? And neither as well without apathy toward the responsibility that is ours. We have some Iraqi friends uh, that came from a community in northern Iraq where they'd been Christians for longer than there have been Mennonites, Baptists, or even Catholics. They're, they're, uh, they date their faith as a church community, their people would call themselves Christians since the book of Acts and the story of what happens in Antioch. So if you look, read the book of Acts and you find the church that began in Antioch, that's, what they would that's where they would point their Christian history to. So you go ahead and beat that, right? That's pretty impressive. And so passing faith in Christ on to the next generation is serious business for them. They take it very seriously. And so they were forced, sadly, to run from ISIS, and they ended up in Canada a couple years ago. Not, not even a couple years ago, a year and a half ago or so. And their father, the father of the family, who's an electrical engineer, is now working in a factory here in BC alongside uh, Canadians and all the different expressions. And he told me the story of meeting this young 20-something Canadian male 
whom, whom he asked about his family and faith, because coming from where he's coming from in the world, you just talk about family and faith. That's what you talk about. And so he raised this question with this young man, and this young, secular, secularly formed man proudly said he's agnostic. He's has no big thoughts about much at all. He lives for today. He has a girlfriend or two, but no desire to wreck that all by having any children. And this father from Iraq, this Iraqi man, is just like aghast and stunned at this conversation. And he says to this man, this young guy that he's working with, point blankly, he says, well then, your ideas and your values will die with you. Uh, coming from outside the cultural milieu that we increasingly take for granted, this Iraqi friend simply couldn't fathom such ignorance and irresponsibility. It's a fascinating way to think about time. We're increasingly a culture obsessed with time and yet unable to use it well. Let's read together the opening words of Scripture, Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 to 5. And we're going to read it together, so let's join in. Are you ready? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from darkness. And God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. Now, there are two primary ancient worldviews that continue to shape our understanding of time. From the Far East emerged this idea of that time is cyclical. That we live in this time, but time is an endless cycle that we are trying to escape. We are striving to be absorbed into timelessness and nothingness, where desire and suffering will end. And that's a very noble thought. Where the self is gone and you escape into the endless, you escape the endless cycles of reincarnation. Because times are hard and there is a human yearning to escape. On the other hand, from the Middle East, and particularly among the Jews, emerged this idea, different idea, what we would call a biblical worldview, that time is not cyclical, but linear. That there is a beginning and an end, and that there is an eternal. In contrast to the cyclical concepts, the Bible reveals that we do not disappear and lose ourselves into nothingness. The biblical worldview points toward a new creation, a new heaven and a new earth, where time and eternity, the spiritual and the created, find their fulfillment and their union. We are not meant to disappear like drops into the vast ocean, but we find abundant purpose and we discover our dignity as those who are known by the creator and who are invited to know him. And so eternal life, said Jesus in John chapter 17, is to know God and Jesus Christ whom he sent. And so the eternal in scripture is an endless relationships, relationship, a person. God himself invites us to know him through Christ. The eternal one enters time to redeem and awaken us to our purpose and to redeem time for his purposes. 
So for God, the God of the Bible, time is not the enemy of eternity. For Yahweh, time and eternity are partners in hope. And this is what Advent recognizes. And so in a couple weeks, Advent will begin this year, part of the, the church calendar's year, where we wait in expectation for that time when God entered into time. It's a fascinating thought. Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 to 5 says this, But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under law that we may receive the adoption to sonship, that we may become the children of God. God bound himself to time and his purposes within it, which is an amazing thing to consider. He bound himself to flesh and blood, born of a woman. God in Christ entered time through the same canal you did. He bound himself to Jewish law, that the revelation of God's character in time and place of a particular group of people. He bound himself to time to redeem we who are lost in sin's mess and brokenness and bring us back to the family of God, to bring us into the eternal communion of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And this is what's really behind all the jingles we'll hear playing in the mall as we walk through over the next few weeks. And so God's family, those who come into God's family, walking in the wonder of God in Christ, uh, that, w- that God has entered into time for us, God's family, the church, is the global and eternal reality that we are the local and temporal communion where time and eternity kiss. Have you ever thought of that? That the church is the local and the temporal community where time and eternity touch. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth. Your eternal purposes come to this time and place as it is in heaven, as it is beyond time. The prayer itself is asking what is beyond time to enter into time. Did you catch that? When we worship as a community, we sing songs of praise like we did this morning. Can I invite you into a bigger way of thinking? The bigger way of thinking is that when we are singing songs of praise to the God who created the universe and who acted for us in Jesus Christ, we are embracing eternity and trying to pull it into our time. When we act as people to create communities where we can live out God's love and his shalom into our world. We are acting to pull eternity into time and place. And when you build your relationships and friendships, when you build a household, when you even work through your own brokenness to forgive and to be forgiven, you are being led by the Spirit of God to let eternity kiss time. And when we say, God, here's my life, God, here is my money and my energy, my gifts for your purposes. We are kissing eternity. We're saying, let the kingdom outside time come into time. Isn't that an amazing thought? So from the beginning of Genesis, a biblical worldview of time emerges. And we read those words together. Did you catch some of the things that are inherent in what we read? One is that there is a beginning, which presumably means there will be an end. Why did a little boy 
laying in his bed at night, consider time and eternity like I did. Something wonderfully dignified was going on inside me. The image of God was coming alive in me, and I didn't completely understand it. I was contemplating something my dog Sparky was not. At least as far as I know. I was acting out the image of God that I was created in. There is probably various theories in this room, even, of how all that we see started, but one thing is not theory. Your life is a clue to a big picture that requires contemplation. There is a beginning and an end to what is created. You were born and you will die. Sparky died. Plants sprout and then they wither. The Bible's great gift is to remind us of what Isaac Watts summarized, time sweeps away all that is not immortal. So time is a gift that both gives and takes. Second, time is not the same thing as eternity. The creator God is already present in Genesis when creation and time emerge. To know this God is then therefore going to be a terrific mind bender. To think you can figure out God is to put yourself on the wrong throne. Because if we're going to know this God who is eternal when we are temporal is going to require him revealing himself to us. He must make himself known. And so what begins in Genesis chapter 1 is an adventurous dance of this revelation between the eternal and the temporal, the timeless and the time-bound, the spiritual and the material. And then third, we discover, if just through those opening words of Scripture, that time is God's initiative. The created world exists within the borders and rhythms outside of our control, day and night evening and morning. Did you invent them? Was there a committee meeting somewhere that you missed where that was put together? No, there are these rhythms to life that are outside of your control. And to fight this is insanity. In 1929, the Soviet Union tried to ban the seven-day work week for something they called the Nebrarevka, a continuous working week. A seven-day working week was established with rotating days off assigned to people, depending on where they lived. And this ideological invention aimed at ramping up industrial production on the one hand and also destroying the old rhythms of family life. Because now, in the Soviet Union, when this was put together in 1929, the state was your family. And it was also an attempt to destroy religious observance because the state was avowedly atheistic. So the names of the, day, the, names of the days of the week were all changed, color-coded, and given different symbols to undo the troubling fact that in the Russian language, Saturday is literally Sabbath, and Sunday is literally resurrection, <laughs> which is troubling when you're trying to start an atheistic regime. Because Sabbath and resurrection are clearly biblical words. So what are we going to do with this? They tried to change the literal names of the days of the week. Now, this did not work. The rhythms of life could not be messed with. And in 1940, 11 years later, they tried this for 11 years. 
the Supreme Soviet declared that the experiment was dead. And 50 years later, in 19, by the end of 1989, the Soviet Union was a footnote in history. When we live into the rhythms of time that God ordained, day and night, family, community, work, Sabbath, time with others, time with God, we actually become more human and alive in the image of God. Because you know what? It's not hard to live as if there's no God. It's not hard to live that way. And fighting time or wishing we could create it, when was the last time you heard something? If there, if there were just a few more days in the week or a few more hours in the day, when we resist God's initiated rhythms, it is our work and our children and our communities and our nations and our souls that wither. Have you noticed this? Let's turn to the New Testament to frame this a little bit further. Turn to 2 Peter chapter 3. Second Peter chapter 3, beginning at verse 8. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. So here's where these two thoughts collide. There are the days that we have. You have a certain number of days you will live on this planet. The rhythms and borders of our lives that are your gift and your responsibility. And there is a day of the Lord. Peter confronts the thought among first century Christians that God is slow to keep his promises. It had been at least 30 years at this point when 1 Peter was written that Jesus had been exited, had left earth. He still hadn't come back. What's with that? Peter's point is that time for God is a foreign language. It's not as if for God one day literally equals a thousand. It doesn't mean that. It's that God is eternal, that he is patient. We live impatiently within time. God lives patiently outside of time. And, we, and time is God's way of expressing and building relationship with us. Did you catch that? His desire is repentance, a return to relationship with him. The Lord desires us to take time seriously, to receive this gift, to receive into the, to live in the limited time that we have as partners in his patient endurance and purposes. We are time bound and time will eventually become the day of the Lord. In case you think this is silly talk and that we're more sophisticated now than they were when this stuff was written, what are we to make of the, all the anxiety that people have now about the world coming to an end? It's in the newspaper all the time. Climate change activists talk like this a lot. 
They are feeling God's ache for his creation, even if they don't use that language. Movies entertain us this way. We fear an apocalypse of some kind. It's all around us, and we pay money to go watch the movies about how it might stop. The Bible agrees with a world always teething on this fear and wonder. Time will run out, and we absolutely must do something about it. We must steward the gift of time well. God's word calls us to live holy and godly lives as we look toward that, not a day of destruction, but the glorious day of the Lord where heaven and earth will kiss. Holy and godly lives, Godward and God-shaped lives. This is how we steward the gift of time and begin the hoped-for restoration. This is not otherworldly talk, do you see? This is entirely practical. We commit to a holy, godly way of living, shaped by what God has said and shaped by who he is. We commit to this, to be led by the Spirit of God in this time that we have as those who know and love Jesus who came at just the right time. So let's pause and just get real because let's ask a very basic question. How long are you going to live? You don't know. Okay, that would have been the right answer, right? You don't know. You may have received a diagnosis that somebody said they know exactly how much time you have. They don't know, right? They don't know. The 2017 stats would say that Canada is 21st in the world in life expectancy. Aren't you fortunate? You're near the top. 81.9 is the average life expectancy of a Canadian. Ladies, you get longer than the guys. Thanks for bringing up our average. But let's be generous, shall we? Let's be generous and say, actually, we're going to go all the way to 90. That we're going to give you 90 years. You have 90 years uh, on this life. Which, by the way, would put, us, would put us, if that would be the average, that would put us in first place globally. Just ahead of Monaco, which is at 89.4. So I, you might want to move now. I don't know. Okay, so let's just say we reduce those 90 years to an image that we can hopefully begin to grasp. A Lego man. That is your life. If we reduce 90 years to 9 millimeters, that's the width of a Lego man. Okay? That's you. Now let's ask a second question. How long has there been a world? Well, there are many estimates. I actually, I found this great picture, or a book. I took a picture of the book because I thought it was so funny. It was like a small book titled The Last Two Million Years. I thought, wow, that's ambitious. I'm not sure who took the courage to write that, but have at it, right? The last two million years, all in your hand. Well, how will your blip of a life fit into a volume like that? You might get a letter in that book. But what are the estimates on how long the Earth has been around? Space.com says 4.543 billion years. Some estimating by 
The moon moving slowly away from the Earth at four centimeters per year indicate that that shows that the Earth would be about 1.37 billion years old. Some watering it down a little bit, say, well, given how much salt there is in in the seas, that's more likely around 62 million years. And then there's young Earth theories that would say that it's really actually 6 to 10,000 years old. And now this is not a talk about who is right about the accounting of time, because guess what? When you show up and when your days are done, God is not going to question you on your theories of creation or evolution. He's going to ask what you've done with your time and whether you knew the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ. That's what he'll ask you. So let's just be as conservative as possible, okay? We'll be as conservative as we possibly can. And let's say that the earth is only 6,000 years old and let's give a millimeter to every single year. Where would we end up? Yeah, I was going to do the 4.583 billion years, but I thought... You're not going to see me again. So, so if we have 6,000 millimeters, does anyone know what that brings us to? Now we'll cross over from metric to imperial, and we end up at 20 feet. So 6,000 millimeters is 20 feet long. That is how much time we're saying. So... Again, we're, we're estimating quite conservatively, right? Collectively, by the way, this becomes more helpful, although this guy is you, right? This is you, and there you are. This is us. So in the vast expanse of all that there is, we ain't much. Your time is little. Now, collectively, this becomes a little bit better good news, okay? So let's think about it corporately. Who, okay, I got myself in trouble last week too, but here, we'll, 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 we'll ask the very dangerous question. Who's the oldest person in the room? Is there anybody born, okay, just shout out a couple numbers. 1928. Anybody before 1928? All right. 19 what? 19, oh, you lose. Sorry. <laughs> we have 1927 over here. Okay, so we have 1927. So that, that's what, 92, correct? Okay, so 92. And who's the youngest in the room? Okay, we've got, <laughs> we've got, we've got a, little, a little, when was she born again? Three months. Three months. Okay, so... So we got three months all the way to 92. So we have 1927. And let's presume that baby over here lives to 92. What's the expanse of life that we have in this room? About 184 years, right? Is that right? So collectively, this becomes a little bit better news, right? That we have in this room the capacity to invest something well into time for 184 years. Years, but shoot, that's still not very much, is it? We're a blip. The time you have and the time we have is so short. How will you use it? Let's talk about this gift with three questions. Let me ask you. 
How might accepting the limits of time help you gain a heart of wisdom? Psalm 90 verse 12 says, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Wisdom is the fruit of accepting the limits of days. That doesn't mean we don't strive to make the most of our lives. We should because they're a gift as well, aren't they? Your life is a gift. But accepting our limits brings wisdom to those who know who they are, who God is, and what is required of us. Secondly, let me ask this. How does a life of prayer fit into time? Paul said something, the Apostle Paul, really fascinating in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. He said, pray continually. If you knew the King James Version growing up, it was pray without... Oh yeah, see? There you go. Just never stop praying. Now, what does that mean? Well, prayer, if you think about it, is a conversation with God. It's the most personal and transformative way to bring the eternal and the limits of time together. That's a fascinating thought. When you pray, you and the eternal are in concert. He who is outside of time and we who are within the limits of time are breathing together. So if you're four and you're praying, or you're 82 and you're praying, you're praying the eternal into the temporal. This is why praying without ceasing matters. Lastly, how do you steward the gift of time? And we can receive God's rhythms in two expressions, and this is actually excruciatingly simple. <laughs> This is actually the problem most of us have, right? We complicate it. I do it. But can I just encourage this? Embrace the beautiful simplicity of God's created order. A number of us are living, sometimes because we have no choice, as if we're living in the Soviet Union. <laughs> One of the things that broke the idea of the continuous work week in the Soviet Union was something really fascinating it was that try as they may, the elites just couldn't change that life happens at a certain pace. It was the rural areas where food was produced that couldn't change seed time and harvest. A farmer simply couldn't live by the state's ideology. It didn't work because she was tied to the rhythms of the creator. We may not have some choices because of work schedules. We're living in an age like this as well, right? But we are making choices, and we are consciously and perhaps exhaustingly not embracing the simplicity of evening and morning, day, night, summer, winter, labor, rest, work, play, confession, grace. God invites us into his rhythms. The point is that to steward time well, we actually need to embrace that we don't control or commodify time. Time is money. Have you heard that? That can deceive us into embracing a different Lord. We end up serving mammon, and mammon, the power of money, desires your soul and will demand a rhythm of your life. And so embrace the beautiful simplicity 
of God's created order. And second, gospel and fellowship your life. Because embedded in our church na- church's name is something really beautiful. We're Kelowna. We're of Kelowna, for Kelowna. We exist beyond Kelowna as well. Gospel, fellowship, church. We're, we're not the church. We're part of the church, right? This fellowship is just part of the global church. But we are a gospel fellowship. And so can I invite you to think about your, the rhythms of your life in this way? Gospel your life. Steward the gift of time by including a going, good newsing, and gospeling flow of your life. You are sent into your days as ambassadors of God's shalom and good news. Every time you go, you're gospeling. You're good newsing because the life of the eternal is in you. Our days include a rhythm of being and sharing God's good news where he's placed us. That can happen at work. It can happen in the park. It can happen at the coffee shop. Can happen wherever you end up. You're going. And then there's a fellowship rhythm. The time that you need to inc- that should include feasting and family and fellowship and rhythm. You need to be with others, with the family of God. You need a fellowship like this, a small group of people that are even smaller than this room, where you are regularly fellowshipping with and living in this flow as you gospel and fellowship, this infinity flow of going and gathering, being about good news and feasting with the family of God. And this rhythm of discipleship brings wholeness and purpose as people led by the Spirit are free to live in a new way. And so what if every household and what if every small group and what if every person in this fellowship lived this dance, this discipleship rhythm? I gospel, I fellowship, I go, and I feast. I'm guessing we'd, have the, we'd actually steward life pretty well. Time would kiss eternity. Lord, creator God, we worship you. We're amazed at how big and glorious you are. Your thoughts are not our thoughts. Your ways way beyond us. And we can stare into the Milky Way and never see far enough. We can ponder the deepest mysteries and we'll never get to the bottom. What wonder that you dignify us so. What wonder we are. And we have this time that you've given us. This place, these people. Lord, help us to steward it well. Forgive us where we've been asleep. Forgive us where we haven't lived into the rhythms you invite us to. Forgive us when we haven't seen this time as a gift and we've been given to complaint or arrogance or pride or selfishness, where we've been given to war and conflict. Oh God, let your kingdom come and let your will be done in time as it is in heaven. We worship you, the eternal one, from this spot. And through Christ we pray it, and all God's people said, Amen.